love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Just reminded me I've got to get your name thing done for next week. Chris <laughs> Doolan in the studio with me tonight. Good evening and welcome uh, to Talking Football, a uh, night of Europa League action. And we'll keep you up to date with the Rangers game, which is underway in Portugal. Rangers on the attack at the moment. A good chance for them, uh, but just thwarted at the last minute there. Uh, not many people. There's a lot. seems to be a lot of gaps in the crowd, actually, Chris, to be honest with you. I'm just right. looking at the stadium and there are lots of empty seats there. Yeah, you'd expect that kind of game to be. Bouncing. We, well, we, we spoke to somebody about, you know, the perception of Rangers and Celtic abroad uh, last night. And they were saying, you know, the big teams, their international followings, blah, blah, blah. I think there's plenty of Rangers fans there, uh, but there are plenty. And, yeah, maybe it's just a big stadium. I don't know what the capacity is, but there's a lot of empty seats in it. Uh, tonight, which I find a bit strange. Um, Porto, obviously, have got the bulk of the ball. Uh, Rangers have had their chances and, and, and you know, tried to take them. Um, but, it, do you know, I, I get very disappointed. And I know the Brazilians are, are Portuguese kind of heritage as well. But I was saying last night on the programme, I find Portuguese football pretty cynical. I think they go down too easily. I think they roll around a lot. Um, I think they can be quite... <laughs> They can be quite physical as well. Yeah, I was just going to say they're usually a physical. They are, aren't they? Bunch. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm just, I'm just looking at the early stages here, and a, a lot of rolling around at times from the Portuguese. Uh, Rangers not being overawed, but they're having to be on their metal here. They really are. There's a, a, they're pressing high and they're pressing fast. Uh, the Portuguese. Uh, listen, listen. We're talking generally tonight on the program about a number of different things. Uh, Matt Greer from Pure Fitbit is going to talk about the Ian McCollum effect effect at Thistle. David Oliver from the Falkirk Herald will talk about uh, the Burns season so far. Air United manager Mark Kerr will be on. I'll get your views on that fella a wee bit later on. Um, we'll also speak to Grant Scott, the Hibernian ladies head coach, about what it's like trying to break the dominance of Glasgow City. Uh, don't forget you can listen to us on um, DAB Digital Radio, online at rocksportradio.co.uk via your smartphone and your smart speaker. That's using the TuneIn and the Radiogram apps. And you can watch the programme as we stream live on Facebook, on Twitter and on Periscope. First guest up, Matt Greer, pure football writer, uh, talking to us about Thistle and the Ian McCall effect. Uh, Matt, thank you, first of all, for being on with us tonight. How noticeable is the Ian McCall effect at this early stage in uh, his return to, to Fir Hill? Hi, guys. How you doing? Uh, I'd say it's very noticeable. Uh, the players look a lot more confident. Uh, they look a lot more assured about what they're doing. The defence is sure right up, and there's a general sort of improvement amongst the mood and the fan base. The fans are a lot happier. The players look a lot happier as well as a lot more confident. So, a very noticeable effect. Jules, it's a club you know well, and I'm sure you still know a few people there. Uh, what's the general consensus that you're getting fed back? I think it's exactly what Matt mentions. I think, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not surprised. Um, Ian McCall has been doing this for a number of years in every club he goes to. He seems to do the same thing, you know. He's great at building dressing rooms. Um, we, we good players. He spots good players, but he brings in good people who who can add something to the club. Um, and not only that, you know, when, now he's in the party like this, so he's not had the chance to bring in his own players yet. But he can deal with whatever 
however handy he's dealt with, you know, and he's great at it, and mm-hmm. he's got a bit of personality about him, which which just makes him a likable person amongst the dressing room. Matt, what do you think the key is with Ian McCall? I mean, you can you say you can see the difference already uh, in the general demeanour of the fans and the players. What do you think, though, the on-pitch ingredient is that's that's making the big difference? Hello, Matt? Hmm, looks like we'll yeah sorry Matt I was asking uh, obviously what we've what, what, what you've talked about how the, the demeanour of the fans and the players has changed uh, tell me what you think has changed on the park that's made the difference I think the biggest change in the park is simplicity really I think he's made the players tasks a lot more simple uh, under Gary Caldwell I think we chopped and changed formations we chopped and changed personnel but uh, since McCall's come in I think the players look a lot more settled. We've played a similar formation in every game. There's not been a lot as many changes as there was under Gary Caldwell. And I think the team's just a lot more settled and a lot more assured about what they're doing. A lot of uh, comment coming out about Gary Caldwell since he left the club from various quarters. Uh, and it does seem that it wasn't a particularly happy camp under him at Fir Hill. Um, Ian McCall knows the club. Uh, that has obviously got to be a, a big plus factor for bringing any manager in. Uh, I know it wasn't the best time of his life by the time he'd left there, um, but having said that, he still knows the club, he still knows what the philosophy is and what Partick Thistle stand for. I think so, I think that's correct, yeah. Uh, little media soundbites from managers, they might not be the most important thing in the world, but when you get a manager that comes out and the fans think that this manager understands the club, it just makes the fans so much happier. I think managers might get a bit more leeway as well if the fans feel like the manager gets the club. I feel like Gary Caldwell from the start perhaps didn't really understand Partick Thistle, the, the mindset of the fans. And from the start, I think the fans it was hard for the fans to take to Gary Caldwell. Whereas Ian McCall's come in and immediately he's been saying the right things and he's had the backing of the whole support unanimously, I'd say. Dules, let me ask you, because Thistle, a lot of people see Thistle as their second club. There's something about Partick Thistle, and, and I hate using the expression, but it's a kind of homely club. As, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I and I hate it. using that expression, but I can't think of a better one. No. But you know the club extremely well. You know the ethos of the club. You know the traditions of the club. And there is a certain homeliness about it. It's one of those clubs that more than most you need a manager that understands Partick Thistle fans, Partick Thistle football club. Absolutely. You know, and, and like I said, I'm not surprised that, that Ian McCall's came back and done exactly what he's done because knowing the club inside out is the key to Partick Thistle. To me, you know, when you know the inside of the club and you know it, it's not just what happens on the pitch, it's a club. In order to get things going on the pitch, you've got to have everybody buy into what you want to achieve. You have to have that kind of personality which Ian McCall's got, which is the fun-loving guy, but he's the boss. Everybody knows he's the boss, and he makes no bones about that. But, you know, he's such a likeable person that people want to help. He's brought back Alan Archibald, huge legend around the club again, knows the club inside it pretty much. Archie built the the way the club was set up off the pitch. Mm-hmm. Archie was probably the, the main man for, for that, um, along with people... Um, around the, the club but you know he had the foresight of what the club should look like and Ian McCall basically started the ball rolling a long time ago and it's great to see that he's back now to carry on Matt what's the general feeling again and, and, and 
Chris has obviously brought up a very good point, the fact that Archie's back there. Uh, how, how do the fans feel about that? Because they were kind of split a wee bit when Archie went. Uh, they were split, yeah, but uh, I think once I get with Ian McCall, bring them in. I think the fans trust Ian McCall. Archie's obviously a legend of the club uh, as a player and a manager, so I think as an assistant, it's a good move for him. And if the fans have taken to him well, they were singing his name at Dylan's testimonial a couple of weeks ago. They've been singing his name at the stands. Everyone seems to be very happy with it. That's a bit disappointing they were singing his name at your testimony. Oh, what's going on there? Well, so that's a bit. Somebody needs a better slap for that one. <laughs> but again, it's, it's something I'm, I'm not surprised about because the, the, the thing that was missing was that connection between fans, players, people who work in the club. People have to feel valued who work at the club, whether you, you work for one hour and get £20 or you, you work 50 hours a week, everybody has to feel valued. And I think like Sir Archie um, and Ian McCall definitely together, Neil Scally as well, great guy to have around the club. These these are guys who will pull everything together. And uh, you know you can see that connection already. The, the fans are delighted that, that Archie's come back to assist Ian McCall. And um, you know, I'm, no, I'm not surprised they're picking up results. <laughs> Just Matt, looking at looking at things, uh, one of the things that was was criticised, obviously, when there was a change in the regime, and it wasn't a, a criticism of the the old regime coming back again, but the fact that uh, Alan Ruff left as well, and uh, they felt Ruffy was a great ambassador for the club. Obviously, a thistle legend as well. I mean, is there any sign of of of, of him maybe coming back to the club? Uh, I know the chairman has said he's welcome at any point. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, the chat about all the takeover has gone a bit quiet in recent weeks, so I'm, I'm not too sure where Alan Ruff or Colin Weir stand, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but David Beatty, to be fair to David Beatty, he's come in, he's been, he's made a bold decision to sack uh, Gary Caldwell. He didn't appoint Gary Caldwell, so it's a bold decision to sack him. And he's made a, what seems to be a very good appointment in Ian McCall. So it, credit to David Beatty, I would say, for now. Is Ian McCall the kind of manager that, that Kenny Miller needs to get the best out of him as well? Because he's he's kind of drifted a wee bit, Kenny Miller. A phenomenal goal-scoring record across his, his career. Obviously, at a time you know where he's getting that bit older, it's it's harder to kind of have that blistering kind of pace that he was known for and getting on the end of balls. Uh, but he's still a goal-scoring you know, machine for a, to a degree. Is Ian McCall the kind of guy that will see the best way to play him so that he still delivers scoring goals but can maybe do a wee bit more for the club as well on the park? I think so. Um, uh, I would say so. I, I, from, from my point of view, looking at it, Ian McCall will get the best out of every single person in that dressing room. Whether whether you're the best player in the in the club or you know, you're know you a young guy just breaking through, he will get the best out of you. Um, and, and again, sim- I agree, simplicity is the key. And it makes training fun. He makes coming to work fun, but ultimately there's an end goal. You, you still have to produce on the pitch to be in his team. Um, it's not nothing's just given to you, but you know the, the, the full club will get a lift because um, he's got such a good aura about him um, that that people want to help. Like I said, whether that's Fiona, the tea, the tea women, or people in hospitality who work there, people will want to do their bit now to help the club, and it can only benefit the club in the long term. Matt, let me ask you a question. It's a fairly pointed one as well. Do you think there's any resentment that it took so long for change to happen uh, and for Gary Caldwell to go, bearing in mind that some key players were lost, including duels? I think when the season finished last year, 
I think the general feel it was the fan base was split, but I think the general feeling was okay. The January transfer window, he brought in some good players. They recruited well. We had some form at the end of last season. We lost a lot of that goodwill when uh, Chris left. Uh, so I'd say the pendulum was sort of swinging more towards Caldwell out. But you, you could argue that the form at the end of last season, he deserved to start this season. Two points after five league games, it's hard to really build a case for him. And I think he had a fair chance. He had a couple of months at the start of the season and there was no sign of improvement. Was he right, add. though? Was he right, though, to, to be as swinging in the changes that he made as quickly as he made them? Because there was a general sense of uh, around certainly the media and the press that Thistle were going to be architects of their own downfall in the way that Falkirk were by instigating too much change all at once. I think that is what what caused his downfall, really. Uh, I think all the change he made so quickly and the, the way he made the changes as well, sort of ruthless, uh, without sort of personality, and that's what really turned the fans against him. That was the main thing that turned the fans against him, I'd say. Dills, one of the things I was going to ask you, and, and it comes back to this homeliness of Thistle, and I, I, actually I'm going to change the word from homely to traditional. Thistle are a traditional club. They've had managers that have had long tenures. They've had players that have had long tenures all throughout their history, you being the latest, of course. Um, was it ever going to work coming in and making those kind of changes to the volume and the, the pace they did? Um, from, from my point of view, when I was obviously at the club, everything off the pitch was set up fine. You know, it, like I said, Alan Archibald set the, the infrastructure of the football club up perfectly. We understand that when you come out of the Premier League, things will change. Did the new custodians, though, of the club, the, the Jackie Lowe's and Colin Weir's and people like that, did they, in real terms, follow what Alan Archibald had set up? Or had they tried to change the infrastructure as well? Um, I don't know if they tried to change the infrastructure. You know, I think David Beattie and the guys at that... At, Previously, when they were there the first mm -hmm. time, they had the club so strong, and it was incredible. You know, when, when we were in the Premier League and we made the top six, the club was so strong off the pitch and on the pitch. But the the two go together; they go hand in hand together. You can't have one without the other, and I think that's where they've got to get back to that. And, and the first step to me was bringing in Ian McCall was such a great appointment. Then he brings Archie in, which which helps again because you've got people there who know what the club should look like off the pitch. When it's, when it's really, really strong, um, and that should benefit on the pitch. They've also got an eye for players, uh, and they're likeable people who, pe who players will come in, enjoy working with, and will listen. You know, they'll listen to these guys because Ian McCall comes with a big reputation for what he's done in the game, and so does Archie. Matt, one of the things that, that pundits, when they're on with me, always say, you know, when a manager goes and yet the, he's got the same players, the new manager's got the same players as the old manager, he comes in, there's that bounce, and sometimes it's maintained, sometimes it's not. But you can see in individuals that there's been a change in mindset and a change in attitude. I mean, Stuart Bannigan back again uh, with a good return to form. Ian McCall over the moon, rates him very highly, reckons he's the best midfielder in the league. Um, so it just it does show that once you get the right person in and everything's moving the right way on and off the park, that it does change fortunes for players and for the club. Oh, I think so, definitely. I think Bannigan is a perfect example of how the players come. Uh, obviously, just before Caldwell came in, uh, he had a tough time with injury. He had a couple... Like, just at the end of Archie's time, he came back. 
And uh, under Baldwin, he, he was okay to start with. He looked a bit unsure of himself. But I think towards the end of Caldwell's time, there was sort of chat that he, so when Caldwell had fallen out, he's been the player that got uh, international recognition but under 21s. He's been the sort of player that was linked with moves away from Thistle. But hopefully there's been rumours of a contract for a new contract for Bannigan. Hopefully we can get that sorted out. Uh, Sean McGinty as well, I'd say, is another one. Uh, he's looked a lot more confident, a lot more assured since Ian McCall's come in. And, well, Sean McGinn's the captain at the moment. Stuart Bannigan was the captain last season. So if you've got leaders in the squad feeling more confident, playing better, that's only hopefully going to inspire the players around them to follow suit. Chris, do you think that, that and, and I know it's difficult, but be as honest as you can be, do you think when you look at the Thistle squad as it stands just now, is it strong enough without any major tinkering to really challenge at the top of the table for this season? I think there's there's good players there. I, I don't think there's any doubt that the club has good players and it's had good players. you know. But then it's about you've got to get the best out of these players. Um, like I said, you don't have to be the best player in the world. But if you could improve slightly, if every player across the squad improves slightly under a manager like Ian McCall, the club will start moving, as you start to see. I, I think that because Ian McCall, the way he is with players, you know, his man management's very, very good. Um, doesn't treat everybody the same. You know, doesn't just blanket everyone with the same mm-hmm. um, methods. He, he, he knows what he's doing, um, and I think that's important because some guys need to be rolled at, need shouted at to get a reaction. Other guys need an arm around their, their shoulder, and, and he knows that, and he can spot that. Um, and, you know, just talking Bannigan, Bannigan is a, a tremendous player, and he's an outstanding player at times, and he... He takes the ball, he brings it forward, um, and if he's not playing too deep, and, he, and he's sitting, he's stuck in front of the back four. He's a, he's a brilliant asset, and I just think with with Ian McCall coming in, who knows him well, Archie knows him well. You'll probably see about the shackles come off Manigan at times, yeah. and he'll start moving forward slightly. He doesn't like to go too far forward because he gets a bit of a nosebleed, but it, it, he will start moving forward slightly, and you'll see him becoming more and more confident because. The, managers, uh, the manager gives them that confidence. Matt, let me ask you what the, the general feeling is in terms of expectation level with, with Thistle fans now. Uh, after last season, I, I suppose it wouldn't be particularly difficult to, to kind of think that anything is better than, than last season if it's in an upward direction. What's your general feeling in terms of where you think that the Thistle fans think things are going to happen this season and where Thistle are going to end up? Are they expecting promotion? Are they looking to get into the playoffs? Are they just looking to consolidate and then make a challenge next season? Um, I think the league's so tight this season. I think there's only 10 teams, uh, se- uh, ten points separating all 10 teams. That, uh, promotion is still like a realistic target. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far to say as the fans expect it, but I think if we get a bit of momentum, get a good run at it, let Ian McCall assess it. And then I think Chris mentioned earlier, Ian McCall's recruitment has been so good in his last spell at Thistle. It was good at air as well. I think if he assesses the squad, brings a couple of his own bodies in, I think next season, the expectations 
and will be promotion, but just this season, get a few wins, get the confidence back and just get us a feel-good factor around the club again and see where it takes us. You were saying that there's a bit of uncertainty, it's gone very quiet in terms of the takeover. I mean, is there anything to suggest that that takeover's now evaporated or is it still on? Are they still at the behest of the the SPFL looking at the, the due diligence in terms of dual ownership and things like that, Matt? Uh, I think that's the last I've heard. Um, the club, the club's been pretty quiet about it um, since David Beattie came back in. So I'm, I'm not too sure uh, where we stand with that at the moment. Dules, have you heard anything? And I mean, is it a good thing that the club's quiet about it? Because it was hell for leather at one point, and then we got Colin Weir was going to make a challenge, and then I heard there was another consortium looking at Thistle as well. I've, I've no idea which direction the club will will go, and I think. One thing's for sure is David Beattie is the best person to have at the top of the tree right now. Um, and the guys he's bring, he brings back, I spoke about them before in the previous show, they're such good businessmen that, you know, from from my point of view, looking at the club now, I can see it will start moving, it will start going places because it's been taken care of off the pitch and it's now been taken care of on the pitch under Ian McCall, Archie, Neil Scally. These are all guys who know the club Although Neil Scally's very new to the club, which but I think it's actually a good thing, and I think it's a good, a good thing for me, McCall, because he'll get a different opinion on, on players and on, um, the running of things. Because Neil doesn't know the club inside out, doesn't have Thistle at heart yet, but I think the longer he's at the club, I think he'll fall in love with the club as well. Right. Let me ask you both the same question, and that is how long, realistically, can Thistle sustain being a Championship club, uh, and how important is it? that they get back to the Premiership quickly? I think it is important. Uh, as Chris mentioned again earlier, like the infrastructure Archie built, uh, it was possible to build that because we were a Premiership club. So it is important. Uh, it's important to attract good players. It's important to try and get uh, the attendances back up. But I think Ian McCall will, will be afforded the time to do it. Uh, he's a popular man. He's got the fans on side, so he'll be given time to do it. But it is important, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like like I said, off the pitch, the, the two go hand in hand to me. Um, you know, when I was there, I could see, I know everybody at the club, and I've always known, I know the, the work everybody does, but it literally goes hand in hand. You don't have a successful football team on the pitch, and the club's a shambles. And likewise, you don't have a, a very successful team on the pitch, a, a successful business off the pitch, and, and a poor team on the pitch. The two of them just go hand in hand. And I think that, now, looking at it, David Beattie is laying plans in the club. He, he's not scared to make decisions, big decisions. But he knows. But how much of those plans, Chris, sorry for jumping in, how much of those plans are dependent on Thistle getting back to the Premiership? I, I do think the club will have to get back. I, we, we spoke about it before. We can't just keep cutting and cutting and cutting budgets year upon year and expect to get out of the, the Championship. I think this is where you need guys like David Beattie at the top of your, your uh, club, who are willing to put their hand in their pocket at some point uh, and maybe fill a gap that, that's occurred um, or give the manager some, some funds because if you give Ian McCall some money, he will find you good players 
um, and get the best out of them, then you've got a real chance of getting out of the league. Matt, we've seen a situation with Dundee United where I think now I'm right in saying they're in their third or fourth season uh, in the Championship, and it's been nearly a couple of times. If Thistle were to find themselves in that position, what kind of impact do you think it would have on the club overall, and how patient do you think fans would be? I think if it got to the stage where we were fourth, well, I think Dundee United are in their fourth season. Fourth season, it would it would be a struggle. Um, the, the attendances have dropped a little since we get relegated. Obviously, the longer you're in the championship, the less attractive you are to bring more players in. So it would be a problem. I imagine it would cut the cost. I'm not a financial expert on football clubs, but I imagine more would need to be cut without the Premiership money. So it is a, it is a priority to get back to the Premier League. And what about the patience of the fans if they were in their three or four seasons? I think for this season, I think uh, the fans accept that uh, the, the start of the season wasn't perfect. We're ten po- obviously 10 points off Dundee United as it stands, and automatic promotion does look difficult. I, I would say next season, if Ian McCall continues with the momentum that he's built and recruits some of his own players, I think winning the league, winning the league and getting back into the Premier League will be the target and the expectation, and if they don't do it next season, I'd say that's when fans would begin to get a bit restless. But I think for now, with Dean McGoggles coming in, they accept that maybe this season it could be a step too far. But we've had a good start, and the league is tight, so we'll see where Ian McCall and his momentum can take us. Well, the bonnet turns up on Saturday, so uh, that'll be an interesting time, of course, because uh, Dick Campbell knows the club extremely well as well. Uh, what's your thoughts on the fixture at the weekend, uh, Matt? Uh, it's a tough game. Obviously, our both have started very well. Uh, they were unlucky just to draw with us in the reverse fixture up at Gayfield. Uh, they should have really won that. They had a goal disallowed that should have stood. That was Gary Caldwell's last game in charge. Uh, and we've lost every home game in the league so far. So it's an important game. Uh, you'd hope to win. We won our last home home game in the Tunnocks Cup against Nomads. So hopefully we can build a bit of momentum from that. And it is important to start winning at home. Uh, you don't want these runs going on for too long. I think we had one a similar run when we first went up to the Premiership. We didn't win a home game for six months or something. So you're sort of looking to get that monkey off your back. Duels are both in Alloa. They're part-time clubs, but you know they, they've got a horrible way of spoiling people's parties. Yeah. And there's nobody more wily and got a better record than working with part-time players than Dick Campbell. Of course, no one he know he knows just how to pull out results. Um, he's been doing it for a number of years, as has you know, Ian McCall. So <laughs> the, the two of them will go head to head. I think it, at home it could be the one that, that Partick Thistle get that win at home. Um, simply because the pitch is huge, um, you know, and the fitness levels. I'm sure Ian McCall and Archie and Scarly will be working the, the players hard on mm-hmm. fitness to make sure that you know when you come into that last 10, 15 minutes of games, they're still going strong. And when you're playing against part-time players, you're hoping that you know that starts to to tell on their legs and they start slowing down a bit. But you know, our growth have been brilliant so far. Um, United, we went up to our growth. Um, we battered them to be honest, but. You could see teams will go up there and struggle, massively struggle. Yeah. The weather. I was be, just be going to one. say, as things start to yeah. change seasonally as well, it'll be more and more difficult to go to Gayfield. Absolutely. Uh, and they use it to their advantage at times, which which you would do. But um, you see, when Thistle got there, it's, it's not an easy place to go and pick up results. Um, but at, at home, um, I think Thistle will, will fancy the three points. 
All right, Matt, listen, thanks for being on with us tonight uh, and talking to us about uh, how things are changing at Firhill uh, under Ian McCall. Absolute pleasure. And uh, uh, let's see what Fish will do for the rest of the season and let's see if they can get that result on Saturday against our bro. Thanks again, Matt. There we go. That's uh, that's uh, Matt Greer there from Pure Fitba uh, talking to us about Partick Thistle and uh, the influence of Ian McCall since he's gone back there. Uh, we're going to speak to David Oliver about another team that's in transition uh, and maybe not transitioning quite the way they expected this season. They are only one point off the, the top of the league, but there's two teams above them. Uh, which are split by goal difference at the moment, and that's Wraith Rovers and uh, East Fife. We're going to talk about Falkirk with David Oliver from the Falkirk Herald very, very shortly. Ahead of that, though, we're going to take a break. Let me just remind you, uh, Europa League action already in play. Uh, Rangers are in uh, Portugal against Porto. It's actually Porto have just hit the post. It's Rangers nil. It's uh, Porto nil. Rangers nil. 32 minutes gone. Uh, it's been fairly kind of even play. The Portuguese He's going down as if they've been poleaxed sometimes, but they have just hit the post, and that is a let off for Rangers. A great ball in, big central, uh, the big uh, striker just gets up to it, puts his head on it, and just catches the outside of the post. Fortunately for Rangers, uh, we'll keep you in touch with that. We'll look ahead to the Celtic game a wee bit later on as well. Uh, Chris Dillon, my guest, is always on a Thursday. We're back with talking football after this. Imagine raw power, supreme skill. Hand-to-hand -hand combat and national pride. Imagine putting your body on the line for the greatest prize in world rugby. The Rugby World Cup 2019. Rock Sport Radio will bring you comprehensive coverage of this titanic battle between the world's top teams. Who will reign supreme? Will it be Northern or Southern Hemisphere? The Rugby World Cup on Rock Sport Radio. Brought to you by Motorpoint Glasgow. Just get the ball over the post at Motorpoint Glasgow's Conversion Challenge to win two tickets to the Six Nations. Find them just two minutes from Junction 3 off the N74. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank or financial advisor, even if you no longer have the investment or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett could help. Discover how much you could be owed. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello! 
Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, we've been talking about Partick Thistle in the first part of the programme. We drew parallels with another club who went through a period of change and it seemed to all change all at once in every direction and and most Falkirk fans thought that was the problem for the club and has been the problem of the club for the last couple of seasons. It's settled down a bit now, although there still seems to be some uncertainty about uh, the takeover of the club. Uh, To talk more about that and other things, David Oliver from the Falkirk Herald. David, good to have you back. Uh, thanks for coming on tonight. Let me first of all ask you. Oh, it looks like Porto have scored, have they? It looks. I'm not gonna, it's not there. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, it looks like it's one nil to Porto. Uh, let me just ask you. Um, Falkirk tipped to win the league fairly easily this season. Hasn't turned out that way, has it? It's not. Well, they're third in the league. Um, I don't think they really expected these five. Um, have as good a start that's what they've had but um, the folk are meeting five at the moment they're going they're going reasonably well can go top Saturday depending on the result of the five star base so it's not it's not, probably not it's probably not yeah you'd expect it to be at this stage but I'm not far off it what about the takeover I mean I'm not hearing a lot about it David every time I I, I spoke to I spoke to Hugh Burns the other night and he'd spoken to somebody who's who's got a handle on the takeover and said it was close and it was going to go through and I hear different bits and pieces on a weekly basis that it's close but is there anything really that, that suggests that that is the case that you can find uh, as a local journalist? It's what you just said there about is, is fairly similar to the experiences um, for myself, it's different people saying different things. Everybody saying it's quite close, and then it's is it close? And then those questions come up. And uh, Mark Campbell's quite active on on social media, saying it's uh, a week away, two weeks away um, before we get news. But that's been kind of ongoing. So um, really, it's still up in the air. The past week's been fairly quiet on it. Um, but I think something's going to have to give fairly soon because we'll need to be an AGM before the end of the year and that would be called um, regardless of what happens mm-hmm. um, and if there is a takeover there's got to be an EGM as well so um, as it stands it's all a bit uh, quiet but um, according to Mark Campbell's social media there's uh, news kind of just around the corner and it's close but the legal teams are, are working on it Dills, Falkirk and, and Thistle I, I don't know that, that, that Falkirk are as homely as Thistle are but they're similar kind of clubs in as much as they they don't look out of place at the top level in the Premiership and they've got the infrastructure they've got the, you know, they've got the history, they've got the tradition I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on Falkirk when you look at them now and you see when they were at Hoostay, they were in the, the cup final, they get beaten by Inverness through a, a goalkeeping error. Uh, the next thing you know, uh, it all goes horribly wrong. He's let go, a lot of people saying far too early. Uh, and I'm just wondering what you're thinking when you see Falkirk in League One. I think it's, unfortunately, it shows you just how difficult 
the, the championship can be that the, any team can can fall out the 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 league, and I think no one really expects a team like Falkirk to to fall out of the championship or, or the Premier League championship down into League One. Um, they're probably too big a club um, to be there. I think one one thing that you can see similar to, to Thistle is they're clearly an attractive team for for a, a takeover. You know, yeah. Th- these consortiums obviously see potential in in Falkirk um, and Thistle as a business and as as a way of moving the club back to w- what it can be um, in the days under you know Houston and stuff. <laughs> there were glory days for for Falkirk. I'm sure that's what they all still dream of. And there's no reason why they can't get back to that. Um, it, there's clearly just been a bit of a blip where the, they've fallen out um, the championship. But you know, I, I think they would have to bounce back up out of League One quickly. Um, and I'm sure there'll be plans in in place. Certainly, if there's a takeover, there, there, there'll definitely be a business plan there of how to grow the club again, um, off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Because getting all the way back up to the, the Premier League has probably got to be the overall aim. David, at this point, looking at lo- looking at the team, uh, can you see them getting automatic promotion? I mean, look, they're a point behind uh, the top two teams uh, and basically East Fife for a, a goal behind Wraith Rovers. It's as tight as it could be. You could throw a blanket over all three of them uh, and you wouldn't miss. Are they good enough? Are they, they going to go up automatically? And if they don't... <laughs> The playoffs are a bit of a lottery. Yeah, I think certainly the the aim has always been to take the automatic promotion because, as you say, the playoffs are anything can happen. Um, on paper, Falkirk have got if it's not the strongest squad, certainly in the top two. It's a very it's a very good squad. Um, some of the results maybe been a bit disappointing. I think they're playing Clyde and. Saturday, the game at Broadwood in August. Um, Ray McKinnon was, was the, the poorest result of the season so far. Um, a few, few too many draws as well, but you've got to expect that a team that's got Michael Tidzer, Declan McManus, Gregor Buchanan, is going to have enough um, to certainly be up there. Pushing a bit rate rovers um, in the two, the two games that they've faced Falkirk so far. And then another, another club, fairly similar size. Manager of John McGlynn, so it'll be it'll be tough for Falkirk, um, but they should certainly have enough. Are you surprised that they're sitting in third place at this point? I mean, what was your expectation? Because there was a lot of bang drumming about big names coming in, and Falkirk were investing in players uh, and were paying big money. A lot of a lot of I know players that were offered to go to other clubs. Uh, and were outbid by Falkirk and ended up going to Falkirk. I mean, are you surprised that that they're not sitting at the top of the table? Well, if you look at it on, on, on purely positional, then I thought that's a bit of a surprise, but it's, they've got a goal difference of plus 16, I think it is, and they're a point off, and this time next week they could be at the top with a comfortable goal difference. And nobody will really be batting an eyelid. So, yeah, it's not. They've kind of been trying to find their feet a wee bit in the first quarter. Like Ray McKinnon has said, it's been okay, but there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, so they, they realise that as well. So, uh, this time next week could be a different story, but um, third, certainly not. Most of the fans saw themselves, they thought they were, gonna, um, they were expecting to beat the top and 
been alright for nothing now, but by Monday they could be. Dill, so let me ask you. Sorry, sorry, go on, David. It's not all gloom and not all gloom and doom. It's not, not, not quite. It, it, it depends. It's, it's uh, there's lies and lies in statistics if you want to look at it that way. So, um, depends depends how you view it. Guys, just very quickly, let me butt in. I can tell you it's now Rangers, uh, Porto 1, Rangers 1, Alfredo Morelos uh, scoring, and that's in the 43rd minute, I think. Uh, or it might even be the 45th minute. It could be an ex- extra time, but Morelos uh, scoring again. Well-taken goal, finds his way in the box. Uh, great crossover from Barisic, and uh, the the ball's put in the back of the net by Morelos. So Rangers back on level terms. Dules, let me ask you this. If you nail your colours to the mast and you say we're going to buy success, and Falkirk unashamedly pretty much did say that this season, we're going to buy success, we'll buy our way back into the championship and build from there. If that doesn't happen, where have you got to turn? Yeah, it's a difficult situation then. I I mean, one thing, I'm looking at some of their players, you know, Tidzer and Salmon and Doyle, these guys, I, I know almost all of their players, because I've either played alongside some or I've played against them. I, I, I think a lot of these boys went there to win titles, or to win a title. I, 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 yes, they went for more money than other clubs were offering. I understand that. But I think the club attracted them. The, the, the Falk Cup name clearly attracts them. But then they've came there to win titles. So I think these guys are out there every week because they expect to, to win. You know, It's then about managing 25 of these guys who have all been pulled together, mm-hmm. all expecting to win, and it, you've got to manage that. Across the season, there'll be upsets, which happens even when, even if you win the titles, you'll have upsets during the season. It's about where you are at the end of the season that, that matters. But, you know, I think there's very good players at Falkirk, and a lot of players that other clubs, even championship clubs, would want to take. And it actually looks to me like Falkirk have built a team for the championship, not for League One. But it's they've got to get to the Championship, yeah, which is the problem. It's as if they've kind of built a team, given out two-year deals, expecting to win this season, and then you've got a team in place mm-hmm. for, for the following season, so you don't have to go and recruit another team as such. David, let me let me, let me me ask you, because you know you know the club well, I know the club well, it's my local team, uh, and I go and watch Falkirk, but let me ask you this, Falkirk fans can be pretty unforgiving when things are not going well. Uh, what's their general feeling at the moment? I mean, they're, they're not not doing well, but are there? Is there a bit of frustration there? A wee bit, maybe. I think it's blown a wee bit. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of frustration just over over everything. Um, take over off the field um, and on it. Um, you know, they, they certainly didn't expect to be in third. They didn't expect to be drawn. Uh, no. Peterhead in the first day of the season, didn't expect to lose to Clyde at Broadwood. Uh, so, but there is a lot of frustration amongst the fans um, and many elements of it. But again, there, are, there is a, a section of the fans who do look at look at it as we could be top next week. We're going to be uh, a point off the. You see, I'm 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 really I'm worrying. I'm listening to what you're saying, David, and and I'm worrying maybe about the expectation level. And I know that Falkirk have got good players, and Dulzy just said they're building uh, a team for the championship. But you see, when you look at Peterhead, Peterhead have been in that league and they've been extremely successful over the last few years. They've 
been the bridesmaid, not the bride, but they've done extremely well. You know, Danny Lennon, if you're playing against Clyde in any Danny Lennon team, you're going to have a fight on your hands, you're going to have a game on your hands. I'm not sure that, that, that you would automatically expect, even with the personnel duels that Falkirk have got, that you would take points from Peter Head, who are tried and tested in that league, and Clyde. Yeah, and it just shows you none of these leagues are, are straightforward. You know? No. It doesn't matter who, what players you bring in. It, it's so difficult to, week after week after week, churn out 4-0 victories. Um, there'll be a time where, you know, some team will just shut up shop, whatever that may It might be ugly to watch, but it gets results. And that's what it's all about. It's about getting results. So I think one thing that expecting to win brings a lot of pressure on the club and the players. And, and the fans, everybody feels that pressure. So every week is so tense because you're expected to win. You're, and, and it's about how, how you handle that pressure. You know, even as a club, how, how you handle that and you go about it on a weekly basis. Mm. But it, it's by the end of the season that you then have to look back. But one thing they've got in their favour is, you know, was it one point off? Yeah. You know, it isn't a lot to, to look at. So, you know, looking at the, the bright side of it as you could be top, that that's the way... I would look at it and I think that's the way players will look at it because they, they always want to find the, the positives they, they don't want to always be told you know if you lose another point you start slipping down because that's the last thing you want to be yeah. thinking about yeah. um, but I just think it's about how they handle that pressure of the expectancy to win Okay, David listen thanks for being on we'll talk again I'm sure before the end of the season and thanks for bringing us up to date with the Bairns what they're doing how they're getting there uh, or not as the case may be uh, and updating us as much as you possibly can uh, which I don't think anybody knows a great deal about the situation with the, the takeover with Mark Campbell but thank you once again always good to talk to you and uh, we'll speak to you again before the end of the season David Oliver there from the Falkirk Herald talking to us tonight uh, let me remind you it's Porto 1 Rangers won uh, Porto's goal was an absolute steamer but Rangers again gave the ball away sloppily, another one of those defensive errors uh, which allowed them uh, to build on it uh, and the boy to get the shot in uh, but it was a great goal, well placed, well taken good strike, Alfredo Morelos coming to the rescue again for Rangers so it's currently at half time 1-1, I'm going to do something that I've done with every pundit that I've ever had on the show here and you don't know that we, we were going to do this so uh, it's putting you on the spot a wee bit but not in an uncomfortable way <laughs> I'm going to ask you some questions. Yep. First question, best player that you've played against? Played against? Yeah. Virgil van Dijk. Okay. <laughs> uh, best player that you've played with? Um, I, I, Simon Donnelly was outstanding. Sid? Sid. Sid right, was okay. outstanding. Um, Him and I have been going at it on social media oh, for the you? last couple of days. <laughs> I, do you know, I, I've been lucky that I've played with a few very good players. Um, Sid, when I first arrived at, at Thistle, was tremendous. Chris Erskine, mm-hmm. all the I love playing with all the kind of guys. Stephen Lawless, they, they're just great guys to play with. Just great fun, and that's why you end up scoring so many goals because you just enjoy playing with these kind of guys. Right, so Sid was the best player you played with. Van, Van Dyke, tell me why Sid was the best player you played with. What what made him the best player for you to play with? Um, I think I actually remember the, the, one of the first games I played with Sid. Ian McCall was the manager. He brought me in, and. Um, we're playing two up front, and I thought, brilliant, like, you know, I love playing with a, a strike partner. And um, Sid had said to me, when I drop in to the number 10 to pick the ball up, don't wait, don't look for my first touch, don't watch, see where I go, just turn and run towards the goals, the ball will be there. And I kind of thought, 
It's a, <laughs> it's a big statement to make, you know. It's okay then, right? Five, ten minutes into the game, drops in, and I just literally turned my back, sprinted. I wasn't even looking at him, I don't know where he was. Looked over my shoulder, and the ball was just sailing towards <laughs> me. And, and I was almost in the box by the time it got to me. So you get a chance at goal. Ten minutes later, same again, threaded balls through, and I thought, this is going to be amazing. You know, these now I'm going to get chances to score. This is how you're going to score goals. You're going to get loads and loads of chances. And that's why, you know, guys like Sid, Chris Erskine, for me personally, was, was exactly the same. Um, looking for me in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, if you're going to be a striker, you've got to have players like that around about you. When you played against Virgil van Dijk and you said he was the uh, the hardest player to play against, did you see then that Virgil van Dijk was going to be Virgil van Dijk? He, he was way too good for, for Scottish football. I think I, I didn't see it coming just to what level he, he's at. But to be honest, I mean, he's got every attribute mm-hmm. you could think of for, for a, that position for... Um, for a team like Liverpool, he's a back four himself. You know, I remember we went to Parkhead. Everybody bombs up the pitch and they leave Van Dyke, and you think it's one v one. Like, we'll get the ball up here and we can. No chance. You know, the ball comes up, he takes it off you, starts an attack, and at one one of the games he actually sat at the back. He was at the back most of the night himself, just mopping everything up, and then he must have got fed up, dribbled through half our team and scored a goal. <laughs> you just think, I mean, what, what do you do with somebody like that? You know, you're pretty much fighting against the tide. You're, you're never going to get anything out of him. Um, so I'm no surprised that you know he's went to somewhere like that and he's doing so well. I I love to watch Alfredo Morelos roll people, and conversely, I love to watch Virgil Van Dyke where he just runs people out the way. <laughs> Without even making a tackle, he just runs them out the way. There's no way you're getting by him, and he just shepherds you into an area which is inconsequential. So I don't even think I ever saw him sprint. <laughs> I, I think the most of the time we played against him, he looks as if he's in first, second gear. He never even looks as if he was breaking a sweat. And that's when I think you can realise, or you realise just how good this guy is. Um, not only does he have pace to burn, but he reads the game so well. He's already in the right position. You know, it's very, it was very, very difficult to to drag him out of position mm-hmm. into an area where you can then hurt him. He, he was so clever, and he had all the attributes, the speed, the power, to recover. That you know, you were fighting against the tide, like I said, to actually get anything out of him. Let me ask you your most memorable game. Um, probably when I scored my hundredth um, goal for for Thistle. Um, Simply because you know it's, it made history, it was a landmark at the club and for me personally. Um, so, and and within that game, I actually went and scored five ten minutes later. The the hundredth goal was an equaliser against Ross County, and then I scored again ten five ten minutes later to actually win the game. So looking back, it actually to me it meant more because that hundredth goal meant something. It wasn't in a five 0 or a five one defeat. Sorry, and it was a consolation. I can actually look at that and think that that goal meant something and it actually won three points for the club and it was actually a big three points at that point so um, to me that was one of the most memorable moments not only just the game but moments in my career I I, I remember hearing various people who talk about scoring goals that break records and things like that and somebody says to them uh, and of course Today you were broken the record daddy daddy dad did you think about it no no I never thought about it ahead of time no, that's lies. <laughs> that, that's definitely lies. I, I was dreaming about it for, for weeks. Um, 
I think you know, I had a T-shirt made up <laughs> previously, and I think actually the week, I think, I think it was a week before, maybe two weeks before, we played Hamilton at home, and I came off the bench and scored twice, and that took me to I think it was ninety nine. And the kit man ran, we were at home, the kit man ran back in the, the changing room and he was panicking because he hadn't made my T-shirt up. <laughs> and, he, and he'd been told to make it up in time, but he hadn't, and he was panicking that if I scored a hat-trick here, I, I would make my 100 and I didn't have anything on underneath. So I think he was delighted when I didn't score again that day um, and I kept my 100 for a, a couple of weeks later. How, how frustrating would it have been, though, if that had dragged on a wee bit? I, of course, like, like I, I mean, said, do you then start to get a wee bit paranoid about this is never going to happen kind I, of thing? I'm, I'm sure you probably... I think when you get to that kind of level, I mean, you're not talking five, ten goals here, you're, you're talking a century yeah, of goals, yeah. which it takes a number of years to get to, and you're so close. You know, I, I, I think I was at 99 for, like I said, a couple of weeks, and I was thinking, you know, oh, what will I do? Will I do this? Will I do that? People were messaging me. I think you should celebrate in this way, and that. and it's. Well, I was going to ask you about to, yeah. that. Did you sit down and think consciously when I get my hundredth goal, this is how I'm going to celebrate? You probably do, but everything goes out the window. So, <laughs> as soon as I scored that that goal, the top was off. I knew I was being booked. Top was off. And um, there's actually a, a kid runs on the pitch at the time and throws a scarf, and I never even seen him. You know, and it wasn't until <laughs> a week later, and I watched the, the game back and I saw the goal. And, and I've actually met the boy's dad since. The, I realised it was, it was actually a, a ball boy runs on the pitch and he threw a Doolin 100 scarf on me. And I, and I was so in the moment and, and, and enjoying it so much. I never even noticed the big guy was there. <laughs> um, and it, like I said, it wasn't until I watched the game back that I, I saw him. And like I said, I spoke to his dad um, and he said that the, big guy, the me man was coming on the pitch regardless you know, whether he gets sent off at all. Um, he was coming on. What about the one you want to forget? <laughs> There's a number of them. What's the uh, one that you really want to forget, though? Um, there, there was actually a game we, we played. We played Hibs at home, um, and it was nil nil. It, it was a, it was a night time game, and um, it, Hibs were Hibs were battering us. You know, Hibs were a very strong team at that point, and uh, I've broke up the park. Ten minutes to go. Right through half the pitch, myself, their, their back four just stopped. I've ran clean through, balls bouncing over my head, goalie's running out, and I could just see the lights. And I thought, you know, just chip over his head. I've done this thousands of times, just, just knock it over his head. And then I did. <laughs> and then for some reason, I've controlled the ball on the ground. As soon as I've controlled the ball, I've thought, oh no, like I've made the wrong decision here. I've hit it, the goalie saved it. They've went straight up the park, and Liam Craig bent a shot in the top corner no. and Hibs won 1-0 and the, the horrible thing about it was there was an international break straight after that so I had two <laughs> two weeks to sit and to dwell sit and stew and you know and I was I was apologising to people and I, I apologised to the players because I thought I let everybody down like I literally let the full club down and the, but the only the only good thing that came out of that is we went to Inverness after the the international break and I scored twice and we won 2-1 or 2-0 so that made up for it but I was determined at that point, I thought, you know, I've got to make this this right. Not only for myself, I felt as if I'd let everybody down mm. because it was such a, a blatant chance. What's the reaction in the dressing room? Do they all say, "Ah, oh, listen, it happens, it happens," and then under their <laughs> breath, they're mumbling? <laughs> yeah, and not not at you. always. Yeah, not always. There's some people, I, I'm suppose, you know, managers they try to keep people's heads up. I, I get that. I think, from my point of view, I was so hard on myself that night because I just thought, you know, I, I, I would trust myself in that situation. 100 times over mm-hmm. and for an instinct just to leave me in that final second um, I felt as if I'd kind of let myself down I let the club down 
and then to watch Liam Craig bend this thing in the top corner and see the Hibs fans celebrating, I thought, oh no. But then, like I said, I was determined to put it right, and we went to Inverness um, two weeks later, and I scored twice, and we won that game, so always forgotten. Who was the player that you admired most as a kid growing up? Who was your your favourite player as a kid? Henrik Larsson would be mine. Um, you know, again, number of goals that the guy scored, um, and you always hear people. I always hear people saying, "Oh, he's in the right place at the right time." He's that not, is part of the skill. It's part of it, but I, I actually think you're in the right place all the time. If, if the ball comes there then you're in the right place at the right time, so why not just keep being there? Yeah. And it's up to other players to get the ball to you. And I used to always watch him and think, he's, everybody used to always say, oh, he's in the right place at the right time. He was there every time. And at that one time the ball got to him, he put it in the net. So then if people would come away saying, oh, he was in the right place at the right time. And I thought at the time when I was young, well, why not just get in the, those, those positions every time? And then if the ball comes to you, it's up to you to put it in the net, but don't, don't be that person that, goes nine times and doesn't go the tenth and it comes across the box and you're not there, why not just be in there ten times and you might get one chance to score and, and you get that goal. What's your most prized possession, football possession? Um, probably when I was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, I have the, I have a big framed Hall of Fame um, picture and you know a, a kind of biography thing, um, which is something that, that means a lot to me. Um, simply because again it, I think I was the only person ever to be inducted while they were still playing and most people are long retired or, or long gone unfortunately before they get these kind of accolades so from my point of view it's something that you know I look at and I think you know that you really achieved something there and also another thing I've got is that when I scored four against Hamilton in the one game I have the match ball and I got it put in a glass case um, so that's always something that catches my eye because um, it's always nice to see these kind of things. The Hall of Fame thing's yeah. a bit special, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And, and like I said, having the, the ball is brilliant. But, you know, the, the Hall of Fame, like, it's such a big, <laughs> such a big um, frame thing. It's just... It's what just makes something. it more special? The whole process of being inducted into the Hall of Fame or being inducted in the Hall of Fame and looking at the people you're in the Hall of Fame with. Yeah, that's what I would say. You know, and I, I remember speaking to Jerry Britton um, that, that night, um, and I actually said, you know, we were in the, the ambassadors lounge and I was looking at the the names on the wall who already had been inducted, and you know, there's guys there, there's stands named after them, there's there's lounges named after them. That I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's when it really hits you that you know you're not just someone who's scored a few goals here. Um, it's not all about what you've done as a, as a player. Sometimes you've got to add a wee bit extra. And I just thought, you know, looking at my name up there is just something that it can't be taken away from me. And I've worked so hard to get it. Like I say, every time I see it now at home, it, it just it, it just gives you a wee lift where you think, you know, it's these kind of things that you can look at and, and really think, you know, you achieved something um, as a player and, and as a club. Because you've obviously done something right at a club. And the the other thing that you have that that is quite important as well is that you have the knowledge that there's been lots and lots and lots and lots of players, and by comparison, it's only a small number of them actually end up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I and I had a similar discussion about it before. I mean, and you think how how many great players there's been at Partick Thistle along the, the years. And you would expect these kind of players to be in Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, and, and that's where I think you have to do something a wee bit extra special to to be inducted. Um, 
simply because, you know, like I said, it, you could score, some players have scored an awful lot of goals. They're still not in the Hall of Fame. So yeah. there's a reason why these few names are there. And, and it's something that, you know, I'm very, very proud of. And like I said, um, it, it proves that I've done something, something right at the club. Final question. What's the worst injury you've had? Um, I've I had a, a torn meniscus. I actually played with it. Um, I needed surgery. So when we were, the year we, we were relegated, I played for six months. I had torn my, my meniscus in my knee. I still still torn just now, but I've done all the rehab to make sure I don't need the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much 100%. In fact, I'm 100%. And I was probably lucky because... When I went to see the surgeon, I was expe- I was told you'll need surgery. Um, when I went to speak to him, he actually said, you know, if I had went on your scan, you'd have been in for surgery this morning. But I walked in, I walked in the door, I sat down, I was moving about fine, I was in pain, of course. But and he actually explained the, the reasoning not to give surgery, and he was actually saying, you know, in six months' time, you'll pretty if you do this, this, and this, you will be as strong as someone who has a surgery. And um, you know, I'm I'm probably testament to that because I've never felt better, and I look after myself so so well. Well, that was my next question. Do you think because you look after yourself so well that that was a, a contributing factor to you not requiring the surgery? Yeah, yeah, Billy did say that. You know, because um, if he wanted to try a load of gym work, this stuff first. If it didn't work, I would have had the surgery. But he was quite confident that as long as I stuck to to what he gave me, then I would be. I'd be right as rain, and, yeah. and you know I've been. I go to the gym every day. Just I'm five times a week, um, not just to hit weights and stuff, but about injury prevention because I, I know the benefits of it, um, and it's something that you know sports science and all these guys we spoke about before. They're big on it as well. Um, so if you listen to these kind of guys, you know you can remain injury free as such. Um, for a, for a long time, mm, I go to the gym every day, five days a week as well. But it's because they've got my favourite crisps in the vending machine, so it's the only place I can get them. Uh, before we go to our next guest, let me just get your thoughts very quickly on the Celtic lineup for tonight: Forster, Elhamid, Ayer, Julian, Bolly, uh, Brown, McGregor, Christie, Forrest, Edward, and Elianusi. Strong, strong team. Strong team, as you would expect. Uh, uh, and you you can see them moving the ball well and going with pace, and I think that's the thing that Lazio might struggle with. Yeah, and I, I know we spoke about it before. Come on, Celtic at home, I think will be a match for most teams in in Europe, um, and and I just think you know when when they're at home, that atmosphere that they generate, it it really does make a difference for them. Um, but you know they've got some great players in the team, a lot of pace, a lot of trickery. Um, I can see it being a, a good night for Celtic. Lazio without their uh, top striker Immobile, he's not playing tonight. So you know, I, I I honestly think Lazio, as I say, have lost the last four out of five away European ties, and I don't see tonight being any different. I think Celtic will win that one tonight, uh, and probably by a couple of goals, in my view. I think they'll win as well. Um, you know, I think we spoke about it before. That it, it doesn't seem to be the same Lazio team that. They're renowned for having, you know, mm. this this outstanding Lazio team. Celtic, I think, will sense that uh, and go for, you know, straight for the the throat from the start. And um, just as they seem to always do at home, you know, they, they don't seem to just pass it along the back. On these nights, they're told to get the ball forward um, and try and get an early goal. Mm. OK, let's bring in our, our next guest. And first of all, say congratulations to Mark Kerr and being appointed manager at Air United. Mark, uh, well done. Congratulations. And uh, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, 
kind of uh, was it a surprise were you were you shocked as there was quite an illustrious number of people uh, as there is with most jobs in football now when managers jobs come up uh, in for this one I think so much um, but I, I, I was shocked to a certain extent I think um, I, I backed myself and I, I thought it was a good opportunity and also you'd heard loads of different names that were in for it I wasn't sure if all of them were true um, but I think the final final six was pretty much spot on it was in the papers and had been spoken about the weeks before so um, things had went well and obviously I've got the, the added bonus that I've been in there and all the squad and stuff so I always thought that could be in my favour um, when I when I kind of presented uh, my ideas and stuff like that so obviously it's great to, to beat these people in a job but, um, and, and it was a little bit surprising because you always expect maybe that phone call to you been maybe unsuccessful. When Gary Holt got the job at Livingston, I said to him, uh, what are you going to change? He said, nothing. He says, I need to fine-tune a few things, but there's not anything I have to really change. Uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. What's your thoughts on taking over uh, at Air United? I mean, you've had Ian McCall there. He's had a fantastic time there. Uh, great kind of results, great performance, just missing out on on promotion, um, do you think there's anything that needs to be fixed or is it fine-tuning for you as well? I think it's a fortunate position I've got um, getting into it, just with the style of play, um, the momentum in the last couple of years, um, it's been perfect for me to go, go away, so it's just kind of keeping it going the way it is and just maintaining standards, which you've got a group of boys who um, do that and amongst themselves and addressing them, it's, it's for a experience in some, some youth so we've, we've got a great wee mix of uh, players in there and for me it's just made it a bit easier probably for me my transition into being the manager um, but I wouldn't say there's, there's much to change at all there. in fact there's nothing to change obviously it's just have a different management still for the gaffer um, so it's just the wee things just try to get the back <laughs> to that right That was funny when you said from the gaffer you are the gaffer <laughs> How easy is it making the transition from being a player to being the manager, Mark? I've spoken to a number of people about it and they all think it's easier than it actually transpires for them to be. Um, what about you going from one of the boys in the dressing room, albeit a, a guy who's influential in the dressing room as a senior player, uh, to being the boss? I think time will tell, obviously. I think hopefully it'll, it'll happen naturally um, as you go along. Obviously, time, there'll be decisions I need to make and there'll be stuff that comes up. But for me, I'm just going to be trying to be myself, um, trying not to make myself look awkward and get any situations where you're not, not comfortable. If I deal with it, I'm used to dealing with uh, things day to day and being honest about stuff. Um, hopefully, that's enough to to make it a smooth kind of change. Um, I don't want to try and be be somebody that I'm not and listen to people saying, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, I, I suppose I'll learn as I go. But for me, it's just about being, being the, the same guy that I'm having now. Um, I've had good conversations with, with managers. Um, Dale McInnes spoke me last night and he did the same situation at St. Johnson. So Dale had a few, few pointers there and, and I'll just take all that kind of stuff on board as well. Before I bring your, your man in, Mr Doolin, uh, let me ask you how important people like Chris are in the dressing room as senior players to make your job easier as well. I think that, um, 
again, the gaffer done it to myself and other players, and again, it was we brought deals in over the summer because he knows what he brings to the dressing room. Um, we bring in good people, um, with good standards, and, and they've been about and, and had successful careers, but they're not going to come in and, and turn their nose up at, at young boys trying to learn their trade. They're there to support and all that kind of stuff. So there's a good few, I'm sure, uh, will tell you. And our dressing room, we've got that four or five boys that, that kind of manage it and, and keep everyone kind of straightforward. So it is, it's, it is massive, and I think that's what I was saying earlier about it being a fortunate position to be in, to have a, have a dressing room like that. Chris, just uh, listening to Mark talking now, the, the angle that I'm going to take with you is f- from a player's point of view and a squad point of view, what are the you know what are the thinking when you see somebody transition from being a player to being the manager? I mean, it's somebody who knows you, it's somebody you've worked with, it's somebody you know. That's got to be an absolute plus, surely. It's a huge benefit, you know, and, it, and you know, I think I said right at the start that given, you know, the gaffer now, he, he, his role would would keep continuity. He knows the club. He's been there for a number of years. He knows the way it was set up previously. He's no in there to ruffle feathers and, and change the full infrastructure of the club. He's there to build on things. And I think he's got such a good working relationship with everyone around the club. Not not just players. You know, He's well liked with the, the, the women that makes the food and the people who work in the office. He's such a likeable person and a genuine person. And I think that's what people warm to. And players warm to that as well. So, you know, the fact he's went from being a player to, to being the manager overnight, you know, that that in itself is a, a massive boost for him um, personally because it shows just what, the, what he's thought of by the guys upstairs. They, they think he's the man to, to take the club forward. And the players are right behind him. Is that a double-edged sword, though, for you? Because you possibly lose a player to be the manager. And that player obviously is as valuable to you as a good manager is. Uh, so is that a bit of a double-edged sword? Well, he's a great player, let's be honest, and he, and he has been even this season. He, he's been a, a pivotal player, so he pretty much now needs to replace himself. <laughs> if, he, if, he goes, if he goes and finds another player, he's going to have to find somebody who can do his role. Um, but luckily, we've already got these players in place, young players, hungry players. Um, and like, like he said, you know, we've got a good blend there of, of experienced players, who don't turn their nose up at young guys who are setting out, who need to play games, but who are also talented yeah. and, and well capable of, of keeping the, their place in the team in the championship. Mark, you've got a decision to make at some point. I don't know how early or how late you're going to make it as to whether you play as a player manager or whether you hang up the boots and maybe play if absolutely required and focus on the management side of things. What's your thoughts at this early stage? Um, I think just short term it was always the plan that I'll, uh, I'll probably have to play a certain amount of games um, just because of the windows and maybe not free agents kind of kicking about as Dules uh, was saying about replacing myself um, we could probably do me myself in maybe one other area um, to be strengthened but the short term I'll, I'll probably have to be part of the squad and hopefully we get off to a good start and we get a few wins and it's an easy decision Um Injuries will probably de- determine it, um, and other other factors that, that come along. So uh, I'm going to keep myself fit. I'll I'll looking forward to getting more natural into the, the management side of it. But I think just the way the squad is in the balance, I need to I need to watch um, and get get the both sides right. As you said, taking a player out when we can't replace it is it good? Is it the right thing to do for the squad? But for personally getting into the management side, it probably 
they shouldn't have a better. Just looking at that side of things, Mark, when you do play, um, you, you've got to have pretty much faith in your number two to be able to do the things you want them to do in the right way. And, 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 I, and I guess that's going to be an easy decision as well uh, with the, the stability that you've got at Air United. But it might not be just as easy for you. Well, I, that was one of the conversations I've had um, and people saying everything's great and you, you go onto the park and you think right, we've planned, we've done this, all the boys know their jobs. Um, I have to play today because of the way the squad is. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't start great. And, and you're hit. normally as a player, you just find your way into a game. But all of a sudden, it's a lot more intense. You're trying to find solutions. You're trying to play. You're trying to... Your head ends up so broken balls, basically. <laughs> um, and it becomes so hard. That was one of the exact words they are saying to me. So um, I think we need to take that one on board. Uh, so that's the kind of thing. Things change, as you know, in games. And it, it is a lot different when you're trying to do... Uh, multiple roles. Jules, have you thought about going into management once you've finished playing? I'm not trying to get you, you know, finishing playing. I'm just thinking, have you thought about that? I mean, what's what's your plans moving forward? Yeah, I would definitely do it as well. You know, it's definitely a path I would I would like to go down. I'd want to play a bit like the gaffers do. He played till till the right option came available, mm-hmm. um, and and as long as you can possibly keep playing, I, I don't see why you'd want to stop playing too early. Um, but you know one thing I think because the gaffer's such a genuine person, but he's a clever, a clever guy. You know he he'll be able to balance what's right for the club, and by looking after himself physically, he knows he can help the club. But you know he's clever enough and he knows the place well enough to know when to put himself in and out. And it doesn't. I don't think that'll become an issue for him. Um, and you know he's brought in a a, a good number two. Um, and I think they look as if they're going to work very, very, uh, very well together. Mark, I, I don't want to put the the logie on you with this, but you know, one of the things that obviously you are going to think about and have to think about, uh, as all managers do, is is you know your current position uh, in the league. And I'm just kind of thinking to yourself. Would you rather have taken over? And it'll sound a daft question, but would you have rather taken over, kind of maybe in fourth place? Or in second place, where you are now, where you're only in second place on goal difference because there's pressure on. Um, well, for me, I've been part of a squad that I think can do really well. So I've got that same mindset going as a manager. Um, if I get things right and keep the boys um, happy and on their toes and, and feeling good about themselves, then I've, I know there are balance in there. Um, and even break, we should be able to sustain um, a position really really high in the league so I've still got that mindset I'm not going to change because the pressure's on to start thinking negatively it's got to be a positive kind of mindset uh, going into it at Falkirk I did it I think we won in maybe I think seven games on one so there was a it was uh, a win-win for me there it was like go and, go and get a win if you get beat then that's the way it was going anyway mm-hmm. so I couldn't see where the, why the people would ask the question um, but for me it's just positive um, and it's a group of boys that I trust and I was part of believed in him as a player, so it's easy as a manager to get in there and keep that, that positive outlook. I was kind of thinking more about the pressure that it puts on you because, you know, when you're in that position in the league, there's not a lot of room for margin for error. And I fully expect everybody to be just sitting waiting to die on it and, and jump on the, oh, it's, they've dropped the, 
this position or that position, even if you were able to lose another game and you've maybe you could lose I think you could maybe jump could, could jump you maybe one or two positions and the way the the league's sitting. Full blind on this is the only one that could could do it um, this weekend. But I think people will be sitting looking at that and understand the pressures are there because the gaff had such a successful uh, season last year and continued it this year. So I understand the pressures that come there and um, if the the margins aren't right as you say, but I plan to be um forward thinking and getting myself ready game to game to, to go and come sustain a position in the league. Gilles, what's your thoughts about about moving forward in terms of, you know, would you like Mark to continue playing or do you think it's not as practical as, as really when you're the manager that you can play on a regular basis? I can understand the way, you know, the, the squad is relatively small um, j- just now. So, you know, if injuries dictate that, that he has to play, how how could he not? You know, how he knows what's best for the club like, and he looks after himself very, very well. And he's more than capable, as he's shown already, that that he can be the main man in the middle of the pitch. So, mm-hmm. if he can benefit, if he can help the club in any way possible, if that means on the pitch or off the pitch, I don't see why he, he wouldn't be playing. Um, I can understand what he says in terms of it may get to the point where he has to take a step back. But I think by that point, he'll have plugged any gaps that um, he sees in the in the squad, and then he can focus mainly on management um, as he said he's obviously looking forward to seeing the other side of the game um, and I actually think you know he talks about Ian McCall a, a lot and I think there's a lot of similarities between um, the gaffer and Ian McCall because he's played for McCall for, for years mm-hmm. and, and they actually have a lot of similarities in the way they view training the way they view football but you know the, the gaffer now has a, has a wee bit more coaching that he wants to input uh, put in himself which is great, and um, but I think it's it's the manner they go about and doing it that people are very very accepting to, and um, you know I, I think I can see them doing very very well. Mark, let me ask you: You're going to be one of these managers that sets yourself quarterly targets, where you kind of think we need to get this amount of points out of this quarter uh, moving forward. Some managers I talk to like it and do it; some don't. They think it puts pressure and it can it can kind of bear on your mind if you don't manage to hit that point tally. Uh, I'm sure there's people queuing up all over the place to give you advice about these kind of things. I, to be honest, the last maybe four or five campaigns I've worked to managers that have done that. Um, it was always kind of targets that were set. And as a player, I think you, you, you do like kind of something to focus on. I understand on the flip side of that, if you go off the, the first two games... Um, the back-to-back beats you. Right, you're clutching here, and you might start putting pressure on, his, on yourself. You might start making decisions um, when things aren't too too far wrong. You might start making uh, reactions and, and making too many changes and stuff if you're just trying to hit that target. Um, but I've, I've been part of the dressing rooms for the four or five years, and it's always been the quarterly targets um, to try and finish, obviously, hit your... Well, last year was get over 40, so we didn't get relegated. Then it was get to 54. And then if you want to win the league, you need to be hitting um, 18 to 20 points. So they've always kind of... I've been part of that. So there will be, be targets and focuses, but maybe not kind of putting that onto the players as much um, so they can relax and, and play a style of football that, that gets success, but it's enjoyable. Both of you talk me through how you see Air United season so far. Starting with you, if, if you would, Mark. Um, I think it's been 
One of the things that, that you're looking for, obviously, in any team in any league is consistency. And in the championship, it's so important because of the way it is so tight. When you're running a squad that may not be as big as other teams, that must be a bit of a challenge for you as a manager. I think the Gaffers uh, had that problem last year. I think we started maybe after about, say, 20 games. We, we didn't go, we went at one this run. Um, there was a lot of draws in there for for about nine or ten games. And a lot of it was down to um, squad size and not being able to get other people in to fill, fill that. So I'm hoping that we, we've got the boys going back, probably. We're getting two or three back in the next fortnight. So hopefully I'll get, get a wee rub of the green and uh, hopefully I'll be fortunate in my my first pe- first period uh, in charge, but as it, it's really frustrating sometimes when you're on a run, you get consistent performances that that, that can be just set you back. Well, the January window coming up, do you feel as if you, you might get the opportunity to bring a couple of players in? Um, I, I don't know. Some will sit down and talk to the board about probably in a few weeks' time. I think uh, there's not long until the January window, but I think for me the focus is. The next uh, three games, um, obviously we've come in um, Friday, Tuesday and then Saturday games. So if we get that, can I do it with? Hopefully we get a positive um, start. And then obviously we'll speak to the board and, and see what the projected plans are uh, going forward. Duel's a difficult one tomorrow on the TV as well uh, against Dundee. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, they're all difficult. Um, I think we've just said that. You know, Every game we don't take anybody lightly. Um, I think we'll give Dundee the respect they deserve, but ultimately, you know, Somerset's proven to be a, a difficult place for teams to come to, and um, you know, I think we'll, we'll all say that you know, going forward, um, like I said, we we could cause any team's problems, um, and if we keep creating chances the way we have been, um, the last couple of games, you know, but we've not taken them or we've not created as much, but we're still, we we understand how to do it. It's just about con- consistently doing it, and I think we will get that. And I think, you know, if we keep these guys fit um, and, and tomorrow, especially if they're motoring tomorrow and we go all guns blazing, you know, I'm hoping that uh, we could really um, put on a good show. Mark, first game in charge tomorrow. Uh, when you look at it, it's a big one, Dundee. Um, um, you know, it must be quite a nerve-wracking time because it is the first one. Um who are you going to look to for that wee bit of advice, if anybody? Um, I, 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 personally, I think uh, for tomorrow's game, it'll, it'll kind of take care of itself. I've only been in, in charge for a few games, so uh, a few few days, sorry. So I think the first few games is kind of just finding our feet, keeping the boys motivated. So no, really lean on everybody um, right away. Had conversations over the last couple of days that I've took things on board but I think I need to find my, find my feet myself and mm-hmm. if I feel as if I'm lacking and maybe give me a bit of advice on certain areas then, then I'll start looking for, for that and I'm open to, to criticism and, and people tell me that certain things I'm, I'm going great and then I'll learn from that and, and I think that's when I'll start to maybe, to maybe lean on, on people for advice but I think the first three games um I've got a plan in place and I'm lucky enough to have a squad that's settled and, and we'll just see see how it goes for there. Guys, one of the good things from an Air United point of view, and it's to your credit, is the fact that Dundee United have been chucking money at winning the league this season and look where they are and look where you are. So for you, 
uh, you know, you're kind of in, in a great position there. Amazing. They've not run away with it, and a lot of people thought they might. <clears throat> no, definitely. And, you know, I think we spoke about it before that Dundee, Dundee United have been trying to get out of the Championship for a number of years. They've mm-hmm. tried to throw money at it year after year. This year, I think they've maybe thrown even more at it. I think it's fair to say that they've probably went way over what they were before. But it just shows you that this league is so unpredictable yeah. and it's so tight that, that you know t- other teams are, are on your tail, regardless of how much you spend. Mark, uh, thank you for talking to us tonight and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. And congratulations again. It's a, it's a great gig with a great club. Uh, and let's hope we're talking about you celebrating at the end of the season with duels uh, when we get there. Thanks again. Uh, thank you. Cheers for that. No Cheers problem. Uh, Mark Kerr there, United manager, talking to us tonight. And uh, uh, let's wish him all the best. It's uh, it's a long old season and it's a hard old league, that one. But, you know, you're in a great position because, as I say, Dundee United were expected to run away with it and have chucked money at it. Uh, and it hasn't really borne any great fruit no. if you look at the, the league. And as many of my colleagues say, the league doesn't lie. No. And do you know one thing I noticed when I came to United? There's just a lot of hardened Scottish football players who, mm-hmm. who know the Scottish leagues, even you know below the Championship League 1, League 2. Yeah. They know how to play Scottish football games. And that's crucial. And I think it, it's very crucial. Um, you know, Don't get carried away and expect to be passing out for the goalie and play 10 passes and then and tap it into the net. It's not always like that. They understand that there's times to do it, there's times to just get the ball forward. Um, and that that was one thing I noticed when I came to the club, but, um, you know, there is this mentality of how to win games. And I think that, that stems from manager, and I think Ian McCall has, has been amazing at air. He's transformed the club yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And I can really see the gaffer now taking that on. Let me just update you, if I may, before we take a commercial break. Of course, Celtic are at home to Lazio tonight. If you missed the team earlier, Foster, Elhamid, Ayer, Julian Bolly, uh, Brown, McGregor, Christie, Forrest, Edward and Elianusi. Uh, Rangers still in action in Portugal. It's about 74, 75 minutes gone. It's Porto 1, Rangers 1. It's been pretty well end-to-end stuff in, in terms of Rangers have a good attacking opportunity. Porto have had good attacking opportunities. Uh, Porto hit the post in the first half. Had Cel- and Celtic Rangers hit the bar in the, the first half as well uh, before Alfredo Morelos scored. So it's been pretty even. Uh, Rangers about to make a substitution. A Rebo coming on. Uh, and it's Ryan Kent that's coming off. Uh, a lot of people were questioning whether Kent would do the 90 minutes. Um, I'm not sure whether this is maybe more tactical because Arebo probably can hold the ball up a wee bit better in midfield. Um, but Kent coming off around about 75 minutes, which isn't particularly unexpected, to be honest with you, Dules. Probably not. Especially as he's, he's kind of you know been on and off with with games in terms of the hamstring, just getting getting back to it. Um, and, and it's one of those things where match fitness, when you've been out as long as he's been out, you're going to have to build up fairly slowly. So he's done well to get the 75 minutes, really. Yeah, you have to, and you have to have a manager that understands that yeah. and doesn't just expect you to be at the level that's required for, for the 90 minutes when, yeah. when physically he's maybe not at that level just yet. Um, but I'm sure within you know a matter of weeks he will be. Mm. Let's take a break, we'll come back, we'll talk more football In fact we'll talk ladies football Or women's football, I know they don't like it being called ladies football Women's football, we'll talk that shortly 
Motor Point, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motor Point's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motor Point Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett may be able to help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Love music. Live Sport. Talking Football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, talking football for this Thursday. Chris Doolan in the studio with me as he normally is on a Thursday night as we talk more football. Uh, Let me just remind you again, Porto 1, Rangers 1. Rangers come back with a point from from this game, Chris, and it's a fantastic result. Amazing. In anybody's language. I think if if they blew the whistle right now, Rangers would be delighted with a point away at Porto. I think at times they've been a wee bit disappointing in as much as the amount of times they've given the ball away quite cheaply, uh, just with loose passes. Their overall play, I think, has been been very, very good. Their work rate's been good. There's been great endeavour from everybody, but sometimes there's still those momentary lapses of concentration where a loose pass in a dangerous area has put them in trouble a couple of times. Yeah, and, it, and it's maybe lucky that it's not came to them losing a a, a crushing other another goal because if you keep doing it you will be punished especially in Europe yeah. the higher level you get you can't be you can't, can't afford to just keep giving the ball away cheaply in, in areas that you can be punished very quickly yeah no you're absolutely right I'll tell you one thing I will say though that the Rangers haven't been backward at coming forward they've gone on the attack they've played with a you know uh, an aggressiveness moving forward and you always know if you've got Alfredo Morelos there you've got a chance of pinching another one yeah and I get I sometimes get the impression for, for Stevie Gerrard that that's the way he just always wants to play he always wants to play in the front foot he always wants to be getting about the pitch probably the way he was as a player um, I think he's a lot of the players he signs he seems to sign players who you know are talented 
but they also have legs to get around the pitch. They've got pace, they've got power. Mm. A bit like he he was as a player. And I just don't see them sitting back. At 80 it. minutes gone and they're about to bring... They brought Arebo on for Kent. They're about to bring Arfield on and Ojo. Um, so I'm assuming... See, there's another pass back to the goalie and it was, it was holding up and holding up. Uh, and it looked as if it could cause a problem. McGregor coming out quickly to clear it. Um, so you know they're going to make those substitutions when they get the chance. One of the things that Stephen Gerrard has been criticised about sometimes is actually leaving it too late to make substitutions on occasions. Yeah, and you know that's is that an experience thing? Possibly, you know, and it's maybe down. He, he might start uh, as he starts being longer as a manager, evaluating things more. I'm sure he does that on a daily basis or weekly basis. I'm sure that becomes more apparent that the longer he is in the job. Um, but he's clearly doing a, a good job mm-hmm. so far. I don't think anyone could could say he's not. All right, let's go to our final guest. Uh, he's uh, manager, chief coach of the Hibernian uh, women's team, Grant Scott. No strangers to the programme. How are you, Grant? Hi, Bill. Great, thank yourself. Uh, good. Listen, I'm going to apologise in advance because we've got you on here, and we will talk about Hibs, but we've got you on here in a bit of a strange one in as much as uh, we're going to talk about how difficult it is to, if you like, break the stranglehold on women's football of uh, of Glasgow City, who won their 13th consecutive title last night. Uh it's an it's an amazing and a remarkable achievement. Just how difficult is it when you're up against a team like Glasgow City, and especially when we talk about them being a standalone club and not affiliated to one of the bigger clubs? And we've never really got to the bottom, either with them or anybody else we've spoken to about this, as to whether it should be considered an advantage being standalone or a hindrance. Yeah, it's probably. We, we've certainly spoken ourselves about this um, as well, and, and I don't really know the answer either. Um, speaking from someone who's attached to a team with a parent club, if you want to call it that, same. You know that it has it has some restrictions. There's no doubt about it. You're governed by other people who maybe their first interest is not your team, um, but we still get an awful lot of good support. Um, yeah, but how their model works, I don't know. Um, I can only really speak about the football side, I suppose. When you look at the football side, I mean, they are extremely successful. They do well in, in the Champions League. Um, you know, what is it, do you think, that? It, and I know it's going to come down to better players or, or various other things like that, but what is it about Glasgow City that, you know, you think it's just that wee bit extra there for them? For me, it is, um, there, there's obviously a varying factors, as, as you guys know, um, but they, they hold, for me, the, the most... I wouldn't say they've all... Players number one to 11 are always better than the opposition, but they are by far and away more experienced. So all the international caps that they have in their side, um, capped players, you know, the exposure on the European environment, you know, I had that with with Hibs this year, and um, we have a much less experienced side, a lot of youngsters in there experiencing it for the first time. Most of the city squad have been there season after season after season because they're winning the league. Um, 
So we need to break that cycle of the league winning first to, to let other people gain the experience needed to maybe then be more competitive year on year. Um, but yeah, for, for me, that's their biggest attribute. And coupled in with that, because they've now got this record, um, you know, you're, again, you know yourselves, like momentum and belief in sport um, and, 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 you know, and a lot in football um, is a big, big thing. And when you have that self-belief, that group belief and strength, um, you can dig deep and win matches that maybe you shouldn't have won. Um, and I see it in our team. We're, we're, I still like to think we're quite a successful side. Well, well, well you, I mean, you, you've got a great record in the Cup and you play Glasgow City in the Cup final, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's your example. We, and I, I, I don't, I've said for ages, I don't believe it's a mental issue with us and them. You know, we can't beat them in the league, but we can do it in the Cup um, and vice versa. Um, but there might just be something, you know, as, as individuals and on that pitch um, when the chips are down. Oh, God, here we go! It's another cup game. Or oh, God, City in the league again. I, I, you know, can't speak for individual players. I have, I have probably witnessed in my own team last year in that kind of penultimate game of the season where I thought, uh, you know, we, we could have beaten City on the day. We didn't play our best football, and I thought some of the players went into themselves. So there's. There's all of that to contend with as well. So it's an interesting um, dynamic, the whole thing. Dules, what's your thought on women's football? I mean, some of the pundits are for it. Some of the pundits are fairly disparaging about it. The one thing, and I've always been a big supporter of it uh, on the programme and and off the programme, but one of the things that I always say to anybody is, for goodness sake, don't compare it to the men's game. It's not the men's game. Yeah, you know, I'm all for it as well. You know, anyone that wants to play football... Should, should and and is allowed to play football. I, I don't think there should be any views that otherwise. I just think that you should be encouraged because there's a lot of good players in, in the ladies, in the ladies game. Um, when I was at Thistle, I used to help with under 18s, and the ladies team used to come on and train after the, uh, the 18s, and I, and I watched them train it. There's some very very talented players, um, and and I just think the club should be proud of the these the ladies teams because. They're part of your club, you know, and that's what I'm saying about having a parent club. But you then have something to be proud of, you know, and you should make that club proud by doing what you do, by winning trophies, by winning titles. Um, but, you know, obviously what, what Grant was saying about um, Glasgow having the experienced players as opposed to a load of younger players, sometimes in games that's it's those be those wee defining moments where the experience will always show through um, and get you those results. But... You know, longer term, who, who's to say that, you know, these younger players, when they get experience, don't become the top-notch players that, you know, get into the, the national setup. Yeah. Grant, just just looking at, at, at the, the women's game in general, and we've discussed it on a number of different occasions, uh, you know, you're looking to, look, to continue your remarkable cup record. You've got Glasgow City in the cup final. They've just won that 13 consecutive title. But I suppose when it comes to a cup game, and we say this about cup games across the footballing world, you know, they're one-off games, anything can happen. But in the same way that Glasgow City have got that confidence and experience in winning uh, titles and things like that, you've also got it in winning cups. And so from that point of view, you still must go into it thinking to yourself, you know, this is our cup. We've, we've won this cup. We hold this cup. It's ours to lose. 
Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, each time we go to play a cup tie, there's a strange buzz about the squad, you know, the, the midweek leading up to the tie. And obviously, more so for the, the final where it's a bit more special. Um, but, you know, the players just go and they, they, they honestly address it with no fear. It's incredible to see. Um, and, and there is a slight difference when we have it in a league game. It's, there's just a tension that's there. So, but but aye, it holds no fear for us. You know, we we know um, we, we know we can compete. We've not done so well this year, um, this calendar year against City certainly. But um, you know, we've lost uh, lost the games that we've played against them um, so far. And, and the League Cup final, we drew one on penalties. So we've not actually beaten them this calendar year which kind of sticks in our throat a little bit. You know, last year we, we did OK. We had a couple of draws in the league, beat them in both cups. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're striving for more. We're desperate for more. And there's a real buzz and anticipation about it. But, um, aye, we've got a few games to play first. But, um, aye, we, 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 we hold um, loads of confidence going into the cup matches. No doubt about it. One of the things that I think kind of, if you like... <laughs> damages women's football as a spectacle and the reputation of it is is like last night played in a public pitch no dugouts or anything like that uh you know huge criticism of the playing surface and those are the things that then start taking people's thoughts back retrospectively and retrograde thinking to themselves uh, it's no proper football it's no proper game they don't even play in proper parts kind of things you know that that's something that's got to be sorted surely uh, you know, I, I feel for everyone concerned last night. You know, occasionally a city winning the league, and and um, you know, Motherwell having to try and rearrange a fixture that was never really in the calendar had been, you know, because of other things. I think there was a cup round had been missed, and this is all the catch-up games getting played this week. So, it, it, but what we found ourselves, we've had a couple of midweek games to play, um, and because we share a home facility, there's there's. Uh, training pitch bookings for it, so you can't, you can't, they won't let it out to you again. Um, because we're in the time of year, we need floodlit places. You know, they're all used up with the clubs training. You know, boys, men's, women's, girls, the whole shebang. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I can understand why they've just probably had to clutch any facility and take it. But uh, you know, you, you could argue that there, there was a bit of pressure to get the games played by a certain date. And I don't really know what the benefit of that was. They could have maybe been tagged on at the end of the season or something and, and played on the, the Sunday after the cup final or put the cup final back a week. or uh, You know, whether the powers that be, the organisers, considered any of that, I don't know. But you're right uh, to flag it because um, by all accounts, you know, I, I, I don't think any of the clubs are to blame, but we should be now looking to play the games on a far superior um, facility than, than what they did last night it, you know, it looked pretty shocking from the footage that I've seen. Dules, one of the things that you would agree I'm sure is is that f for women's football to develop and grow and to be taken as seriously as it should be and ought to be there's got to be as much PR work done on it as possible and, and, and things like last night where the, the park was, you know it was like a school team's park you know, these are the things that are going to damage the image and it, it, it can knock you back and especially when we're trying to develop a legacy from the World Cup uh, and make it more kind of, if you like, appealing to people in general Yeah, if you're looking for the outside in and you're a neutral to, to these teams and, and you see the, the public park, the no dugout, 
you're, you'll probably automatically just switch off from the result. I think it's important that when people turn up to see these games, they should be played at a respectable stadium, you know, because these are good players and they deserve their chance to, on a good stage, on a nice pitch, show what they can do and show just how far they can actually... We, we Sometimes we don't ask kids to play in... <laughs> You're right. You, you know, you wouldn't ask <laughs> wee kids to play on terrible pitches. Pe- parents expect their, their children to get the best of everything. Why Why not for ladies' football? Give them something that, that, like I said, make clubs proud because you should look out there and see the two clubs representing their club at, at, a, at a ground that people are willing to come in and, yeah. sit, and sit down and, and enjoy the game. That and the PR alone should be enough to attract more people. Guys, just before we come back on, uh, very quickly, I'm just going to update everybody. A great result for Rangers. They've come away with a 1-1 draw in Porto. Uh, so well done to them uh, let's hope Celtic can uh, can show through tonight as well uh, but that's a really really good result and a great performance from Rangers by and large uh, so well done to Stephen Gerrard and his team Grant sorry just coming back now to the uh, the situation in hand we, we've talked before about the disappointment that there hasn't been the legacy that people hoped for from the World Cup and from that point of view Things like last night, and I think Chris makes a very good point that a lot of the time you wouldn't ask kids to play on those kind of grounds. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, when when you're dealing with um, particularly particularly the, the players on show last night, you know, there's international quality players on both sides um, who really we should be representing the whole package, including the the. the um, you know the stage for these players to show what they can do in a much much better way and you know there's been in my own opinion there has been absolutely zero bounce domestically um, or, or, or from from any of the World Cup stuff um, I don't know about where the, the, the spoken about finances have gone it might be dealt with above my head certainly but there's been no whisper of, of you know some of that money that was that was due to be reinvested Um so, yeah, we're really shooting ourselves in the foot because I believe, you know, and, and you've said it for, for ages, but we're not comparing the, the, the men's and women's game here, but when I when I work every single week within the women's game and see the quality that's out there and I know tactically and physically how well I've got to prepare players for games against Glasgow City and stuff, it's 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 ridiculous that we're not able to underpin it and promote it in a better way yet. Um, and, and you know we've, we've just we've really missed a trick and not cap- capitalised at all. Dules, let me ask you a question. You've got Grant Hibbs, you've got Scott Booth at uh, Glasgow City. Would you consider coaching and managing a, a, a ladies' team? I wouldn't turn my nose up at any coaching role. I, th- I think, um, like I said, I don't understand why anyone shouldn't be given the platform to to show what they can do. We were just talking about the World Cup. <laughs> It wasn't as if it was a, a local tournament. We were, we were on the world stage, and it's it's really disappointing actually to hear that we've not capitalised in any way, shape, or form of being on the back of the TV for weeks at a time, whatever it was. Everyone, newspapers, everybody talking about it, and we've not capitalised as a country at all. That, that that to me is really disappointing. That we've not even looked at the the ladies' game, um, and it might take for someone to to step forward and really give it a push. Social media is free. 
you know, all these Twitter, mm. Facebook, they're free. Yeah. Why, why not? Why not have someone dedicated to really pushing ladies' football further? Grant, that's a good point, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a great point that Chris makes. You know, the individual clubs are are doing. In my again, it's only my opinion, but that there's so much um, traffic goes through on on the clubs or the women's um, part of the, the the social media platforms. I know, for instance, Hibs can only speak of them really, but you know, we've 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 had a real kick on and in, in the promoting of the women's stuff. But the club are now piggybacking that, so the whole media setup, social media side is um, getting involved, which is great. But again, it's all being driven by the clubs, and and there, there, somebody somewhere else, I believe, and the organisers should be helping as much. You know, there is stuff go- getting done. Don't get me wrong, um, but is it enough? Have we capitalised enough? Pfft. Yeah, probably not. It, it, it does happen, but it's it's. Um, you, I, I think. Because I'm involved in it, I see a lot of it, and I'll, I'll choose to follow, you know, look at things on Twitter or whatever. But you need to get out to the masses now. There's there's no income stream in women's football, really. Um, you know, there's, there's very little fan base. The spectator numbers are poor. So we, you know, someday somewhere we need to try. And it's the clubs. I believe a lot of the clubs are doing what they can. They really are. Um, but yeah, it, it has to go to another level, I think, to to, to develop. Dolls, why do you think we're not getting the fans in terms of when you look at globally, the way that, that girls are now playing football, you know, they're starting at a young age. It's one of the 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 biggest growth participation sports globally, women's football. And in countries like America it's huge. Uh, you know, in England, it's gathering momentum, more and more professional clubs. You know, the big clubs are, are resourcing and funding their teams properly. They're integrating them in the, 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 the club generally with the with the men's team and stuff like that. Now, I know they've got a lot more money and I know there's a lot more benefit to them spending that money. But like you say, we were at the same World Cup as everybody else and you would hope that there was going to be some kind of bounce from it. Uh, and that bounce, if nothing else, being that more people took an interest in going to watch women's football. Is it? Let me ask you a question, right? Guys, I'm going to ask you both of this. Are we entrenched in stereotyping in Scotland in terms of the male persona? <laughs> I, th- I think if, if you're going to... <laughs> That compare. that was a wee bit of a non-committal there, yeah. Grant. If you don't mind me saying so, but we do. <laughs> Scottish men do have an image of being a certain type of person, and I'm wondering if that stereotype, whether we're actually like that now. And I don't believe that we are. From what I see socially, I believe those days have been left behind us by and large. And from what I see socially, I don't believe that stereotype still exists. But I think sometimes in our head it does. And that maybe, you know, prohibits us from being encouraging to other people to go and see women's football or men going to see women's football with wives and daughters. Yep. And, I, you know, I actually think it would make a huge statement for the full country if we did back ladies' football. I agree. Because it would, it would prove that the, the, these kind of, you know, views towards stereotype, uh, stereotypical male, female, whatever it is in the country... Are changing. Would you agree though that there is that stereotypical kind of attitude sometimes? Yeah, of course, and, and I think if you keep comparing ladies' football to male football, it will probably stay the same. 
because there's nothing there to you can't compare the two you can't marry the two together because they're two completely standalone separate football entities so it would make a real statement as a as a nation to say we will back ladies football as much as we or maybe not as much because the money in in football in general is so large at times but for these big clubs to not give anything to 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 ladies football are very very small yeah i mean it would it would hardly take them to break the bank to to fund a ladies team but what a difference it could make and and you know employing social these these kind of media people it, it can only make the the club better and if if what Grant's saying is that clubs are promoting it themselves. There's clearly a barrier above clubs that, that it's stopping. You know, clubs are trying to promote, but they can only promote so far. Yeah. It's then hitting a ceiling somewhere that, that's stopping it going elsewhere. And I just think, you know, if if stereotypical views are still here, then it would make a it would be a massive statement if we just all of a sudden started back in ladies football in a even in a small way with a longer-term view of, you know, developing the sport further. Dan, give us your thoughts on the stereotyping and things like that. Yeah, I think I, I think it's probably one of those things that's not a conscious thing, but it, it, for me, working in it, it definitely exists. Um, because people, for example, that I know or, or I've played football with in the past or male members of my family, you know, they all take an interest, they know what my score was at the weekend, or they know the odd player, but they would never come and watch. Mm. And and it's like, okay, right, so it's it's breaking that whole thing. Now, is it, is it a, I don't think there's an objection to coming to watch the game, but again, when you've got maybe a league that's maybe not the most competitive at times and, and funny score lines like, you know, City had last night, our own, that puts some people off. You know, the, the facility, the infrastructure like last night, um, again, puts people off. And, and, and as you said earlier, you know, they look at and think, it's a little bit Mickey Mouse, it's not really the real thing. Um, getting beyond all of that certainly would help. Um but yeah, uh, yeah uh, there is a, for, for me there's a there, there's a flip side as well though because I, I do feel that on occasion there's um, a resistance for men to get involved because maybe maybe it, it looks better that it's a woman doing the job and and it's a whole different argument um, but but it, but it probably has the, the 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 other effect that guys might want to go and get involved but they feel that oh maybe it's not the right thing to do. Um, because it's females and and it should be but driven should, but, by them. But Grant, them, surely, but. surely the the counter argument to that and that negates that is the amount of support and the amount of times me particularly had Shelley on talking about when she was managing still in university, you know, and yep. and, and everybody was saying, oh, more women should be looking to get into the men's game, and and I asked Shelley about it, and she said the way that I look at it is very simple: it's football. It's not men's, yep. it's not women's, it's football. And they're footballers. Now, when you come to breaking it down, there will be a comparison made and there is a difference. But the comparison shouldn't be made against men and female football. It should be made against women's football against women's football, men's football against men's football. Well, I, I agree with you, but I'm, no, I'm not 100% convinced that's the case all the time. And you know, Shelley. Shelley obviously is a, a, an exceptional individual, um, but you couldn't name another five in Scottish football, mm-hmm. and that's that is possibly a problem. And and the flip is that 
um, you know, maybe men resist doing and getting involved and promoting and, and, and actually going and spectating and stuff. You know, I, I'm really intrigued, Bill, you know, with this cup final coming coming up at the end of November. Um, it's at Tyne Castle, so the first time in my, my time at Hibs that the final's been in Edinburgh and there's obviously Hibs are in it. It'll be interesting to see what kind of crowd we get there. Will mm. it be the same as always, and it'll just be the, the people that have an interest in the women's game already that are there, because that's normally what happens. Well, I hope so it's I hope it's not. I'm sorry to cut you short, mate, because we're running out of time. I wish, I wish you luck with it, and I hope it's not. Uh, and for what it's worth, I do the hoovering, and I wash the dishes, so, <laughs> you know, who cares? Grant, thanks for being on with us tonight. I appreciate it greatly. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio.